Parshas Toldos ends with the story of Rivka telling Yaakov to steal the bracha, go in, pretend that you're Esav, and in fact Yitzhak gives the bracha to Yaakov, and when Esav finds out about it, he's furious, Vayistom Esav as Yaakov, Esav hates, he's filled with anger, he's filled with hatred for Yaakov, and the Yomer Esav Libo, Esav says in his heart, Yikrivu Yimei Avi, let the days of my father's Ovil, Avelis, come close, Va'arga es Yaakov Ochi, and I will kill my brother Yaakov. Rivka, who had Ruach Kodesh, was told about this, she was aware of this, and she understood the mortal danger that Yaakov was in, and she told Yaakov, flee, run away, <clears throat> go to Lovin's house, go to my brother, see if you can find refuge over there. And in fact, Vayetze begins with Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov leaves and he heads on this path. Very shortly thereafter, Yaakov has the chalom, he has the dream. In the dream he sees the angels going up, the angels coming down, and then there's an entire part where Hashem promises him various things, and then Vayidur Yaakov neder. After this, when Yaakov wakes up, he makes a neder. And he says, If Hashem will be with me, Ushmarani Bidarchazan, if Hashem will guard me on this way, and if Hashem will give me clothing and food, and Hashem will return me to my house, Vishalom, Vayaha Hashem Likim, etc. etc. And basically Yaakov is beseeching, making a neder, trying to get Hashem to agree to these various requests. And Medrachum explains that there were four things that Yaakov asked for. Number one, let Hashem be with me. He's going into dangerous area. Number two, Hashem should protect me. Not only should Hashem be close, but Hashem should guard me. Number three, Hashem should return me to my house, B'Shalom. Number four, let Hashem give me food to eat, clothing to wear, beged lilbosh, lechem lechel. And the Medrash tells us that Hashem says, three of the four I'll grant. To be with you, I'll be with you. Protect you, I'll protect you. Return you to your father's house, peace, I will. But clothing and food, if I give you that, if I promise you that, You'll have nothing left to ask for. And therefore Hashem didn't give it to Yaakov, didn't promise him, so that Yaakov would continue to ask for food, for clothing. And that's how the Medrash explains what Hashem said to Yaakov. Now if you think about this Medrash, it's rather perplexing. Because it's almost like Hashem is saying, listen, if I give you, if I promise you you get your food, you're still going to have to work for it. And you're still going to have to go through the normal procedure, but you're not going to have to ask, you're not going to have to beg. So it's like, you won't need me. You won't call, you won't light, you won't write, you don't love me anymore. The problem is that we're dealing with Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu was known by Chazal as the holiest of all the Avos. As great as Avram was, Yitzhak was greater. Apparently Yaakov was the holiest. He had ancestors behind him. And he reached a level that no other human being had reached at this point in history. Any story that you read about Gedolim, about their purity... And they're being almost living in another world, pales in comparison to Yaakov Avinu. Just as an illustration, and Rashi says, In the beginning of this week's parsha, he stops, he damns, and Yaakov lies down in this place. And Rashi is bothered by, what do you mean, in that place he lies down? Explains Rashi that for 14 years he didn't lie down. You see, when he left his mother's house, and when his mother told him, run away, he didn't go straight to the well. First he stopped in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, 
And he learned for 14 years. During the entire 14 years that he was learning there in yeshiva, he didn't sleep at night in a bed. I guess he put his head down to rest at certain points, but the idea of sleeping in a bed at night didn't happen. <clears throat> here, here specifically he rested because this is the first time he lied down actually to sleep at night. For 14 years he didn't. So here's the question. We're dealing with a man whose entire existence is dveikas Hashem, being close to Hashem. We're dealing with a man who's so kaddish, so holy. We're dealing with a man who all he aspires for, all he desires is to cling to his Creator. So if Hashem promises him parnasa, you won't have anything to ask, you won't call, you won't write, you won't love me anymore. It sounds very difficult to understand. I'm sure Yaakov would daven. I'm sure he would still acknowledge Hashem. More than that, he loves Hashem, he wants that. That's what he lives for. What would be lacking? Let's say Hashem promised him, Parnosa, you'll t- I'll take care of the food, I'll take care of the, <coughs> the clothing. What would have been lacking? What would Yaakov have <coughs> been lacking? If anything, I think he'd be more assured, he'd be more calm, have more equanimity. So why did Hashem say, I can't answer him on Parnosa? He won't have anything to ask for. What does this Chazal mean? And to understand the answer to this question, I'd like to focus on an interesting observation. If you look out in the wild kingdom, you'll see a vast array of species. Some that walk, some that crawl, some that fly. You'll see so many different types. They now estimate that there are 1.5 million types of animals in the world. Add the insects, we're dealing with somewhere around 10 million species. Numbers that are baffling. Each one Hashem equipped with, with the tools, the aptitude, and inclination to earn its living. Some eat bacteria, some eat plants, some eat insects, some eat fish, some eat meat. But each animal, as well as each insect, Hashem gave the tools, the aptitude, and the instinct to earn its living. The cow has a set of molars that grinds the grass. It's a very powerful set of molars because grass is very difficult to digest. So the cow <coughs> molars digest it, he swallows it into the first stomach, <coughs> regurgitates it, swallows it into the second, regurgitates it, swallows into the third, into the fourth. The cow was given a very specific digestive system because turning grass into milk is not an easy process. But given exactly what he needs to earn his keep. The bat <coughs> was given incredible radar, sonar, and the ability to hunt down in flight Insects, it's got teeth in the front that are sharp and in mid-flight, will catch the fly and ingest it. The seal was also given very sharp teeth. Sharp teeth that point inward so that when it catches the fish, it's able to quickly swallow it. And if you'd like to see something astonishing, try this one on me. And next summer, in a lake, in an ocean, try to catch a fish with your hand. Just try it. It's an interesting exercise. Why? Because if you could actually even touch the fish, which is pretty unlikely, what you'll find is it's so slimy and so slippery, you don't have a chance. It gets away. Yet the bear has no problem. The bear stands upstream, the salmon swims up, and the salmon jumps. The bear swats, and four-inch-long razor-sharp claws pierces the salmon, pops it right into its mouth. But you see, it's not just the tools, it's the aptitude. 
bats fly in absolute darkness, and yet they're able to navigate and in mid-flight catch that fly. The pelican was given an interesting way to earn its living. The pelican has a huge beak. It goes into the water and fills its beak up with two gallons of water. When it's filling up its beak with the water comes everything there, as well as fish and everything else, and then rises up out of the water. There are slits on the side of the bill. The water slips out of the slits, and left in its beak is the fish and whatever else it's supposed to eat. Each animal in creation, Hashem gave the tools to earn its keep. The eagle is also a great fisherman, but not because it can fish. It loves fish, but the eagle has no capacity to catch fish. But Hashem gave it a different set of tools. The eagle has eagle eyes. The eagle will hover one mile above, and from that distance it could spot something the size of a dime. It waits for the pelican to dive. It waits for the pelican to come up. As the pelican comes out of the water, the water drips out, the fish are left in its bill. At that point, the eagle makes a dive. The pelican hears the rush. The pelican looks up and says, either I give up dinner or I am dinner. It throws the fish in the air. Eagle catches the fish, takes the fish back to its nest. And when you study the different systems and you study the incredible aptitude tools, and inclination, you'll see a vast array of ways that, a pers- that all the animals have to earn its living. I remember when my kids were little, anytime we'd catch, whether it be a turtle or a fish, or maybe we got a bird or whatever, we'd, we'd have to then go online and figure out what to feed it. Because if it's a turtle that only eats high-fat meat, or if it's a turtle that doesn't eat meat at all, or if it's a Frog that will only eat worms. Robins eat worms. Squirrels eat nuts. Elephants eat grass. Painted turtles eat meat, but only particular types of meat. But when you study the vast array and you study all the wisdom that went into it, it's astonishing. It's amazing. Man as well was given the tools, the aptitude, and the inclination to earn his living. Man was given the ability to earn his keep, and man works very, very hard at earning his living. And I'd like to share with you an interesting observation. It didn't have to be that way. If you look up at the noonday sun, you will not last very long staring at it. Because a one inch by one inch, a postage size segment of the sun emits 1.5 million lumens, blinding amount of light. There's so much energy coming out of the sun that they estimate it's equivalent of 100 billion hydrogen bombs exploding every second. It's so hot in the center of the sun, some 17 million degrees Fahrenheit, they say that if you take a grain of sand, heat it up to that temperature, and bring it back to planet Earth, everything within a 60-mile radius would erupt into flame. So much energy constantly being emitted, constantly leaving. Now here's the observation. When was the sun last refueled? Right? When, when were the batteries changed? So it's been 5,780 years so far, and the sun sh- shows no signs of quickly running out. Scientists try to estimate 5 million years, but here's the point. 
Hashem is quite capable of designing a sun that lasts for over 5,000 years and doesn't need recharging. Why didn't Hashem make man much like that, like the ever-ready bunny? Charge him up in the beginning of his life, and he goes that way. And by the way, man has even done a lot better. The Trident submarine, which is really technology from the late 80s, this was the first class of nuclear-powered submarines the United States Navy launched, and the beauty of it is that it could spend six months at sea because it's effectively self-powered. The nuclear reactor constantly pumps out energy, and for six months it can remain at sea without ever coming up. So clearly there are better systems. If Hashem can make a sun that can last for 5,000 years without recharging, why didn't Hashem make it that man would be maybe once a year, once every 10 years, but that's not how we are. We have to eat three times a day. We have to breathe every three, four seconds, five seconds, six seconds, and we're created in a sense of constant need. And here's the point. It's not by accident. Hashem, you created a vast array of creatures, and each creature was created with its lacks, with its things lacking. And Odom as well was created with lacks, lacking food, lacking clothing, lacking shelter, and needing to constantly seek out new sources of food, new sources of drink, constantly in a sense of need. And here's the question. Why does Hashem do it? Why does Hashem just make man self-sufficient? Put him out there, let him go, he's good to go. And the answer to this is predicated on understanding what needs do to a person. Dale Carnegie, in his very, very well-written book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, tells a story of a person complaining that he couldn't get his nephews to write back to him. His nephews had gone to college, and he would write letters. This was back in the 30s, by the way. Uh, He would write letters to them, and the nephews never answered back. Dale Carnegie said, I'll write a letter, I guarantee. You send them this letter, I guarantee they'll answer it. All you do is you write whatever you write, and then on the bottom, P.S., I included a $100 bill just so you guys can have something to spend, and don't put it in the envelope. The fellow said a week later, he got a letter back from his nephew. Thank you so much, dear uncle. Da, da, da. Oh, by the way, that $100 bill somehow must have slipped out. You see, it's a funny thing. When we need something, we become very, very desperate. We become very, very focused in a different way. And I want to share with you that it's not just about earning a living. You know, when a person, Rahman gets cancer, there are many ways to treat it. And physicians report that the options will make a huge difference. Gwande, who's a physician, did a study. And this is what he said. There are so many different ways to treat cancer. It could be chemo, radiation, what type of chemo, how aggressive or not. And very aggressive means you get rid of all of the cancer cells, but it has a great cost, serious side effects. So when they do studies and they ask people, if you were to get cancer, would you rather choose the treatment or have your doctor choose? 65% of people said, I'd rather make that choice myself. Yes, aggressive, not aggressive, chemo, radiation, 
I'd rather make that choice. Most people say they'd rather make that choice. Yet astonishingly, when people actually contract cancer, 88% say, doctor, I don't want to, you make the decision. I can't make it. Meaning when you don't have the disease, your attitude is, of course, I'll choose. Leave that one up to me. But the minute that it's your life on the line, and the minute that it's really serious, 88% of people say, doctor, I can't choose. You, whatever you think is best, I'll go with your choice. And this state of need is something that you and I need in a very real way. And I'll explain to you why. Mitzvah Shem explains to us that when Hashem created man, Hashem took a brilliant neshama, a neshama that sees and understands, a neshama that has no desire for anything physical, a neshama that's noble, pure, and proper, and put it into this body to give us free will, to give us the ability to make the right choices, to give us the ability to actually choose, and who we become is who we are for eternity. But here is the problem. Taking a brilliant neshama and putting it into a body will not give a free choice. Because every mitzvah helps me grow, every avera damages me. I know the consequences. If I choose this path for eternity, I will be ruined. On the other hand, if I choose this path for eternity, I'll be great, noble, and be sitting close to Hashem. So how do you take an neshama, brilliant and understanding, and give a free will? And explains to Mr. Sharm that when Hashem took the neshama, He didn't just put it into a body as if inserting a neshama into a robotic form that the neshama then controls. And Hashem put the neshama into the body and is a nefesh bahami. There's a live part to the body, much like any animal in the animal kingdom you find. And the I who am thinking, the I who feels, am in the state of ever-confused in this haze of physicality, sometimes I get it, and most of the times I don't. And sometimes I realize there's a future, and most of the time I just slumber along. And if you like to fundamentally understand the state of us, I have a muscle that I think is very important. Imagine you get to see Moshe, an 18-year-old yeshiva bacher, for the first time on Purim drunk. Well, Moshe decides it's Purim, he's 18, and first year base medish, he's going to get good and drunk. And then you see him. Maishi, what are you doing? I'm playing in traffic. Maishi, you're playing with the cars. You're going to get hit. I know, I'm going to get hit by a car. Smack, crack my back. Maishi, you're going to get hit by a car. <clears throat> They'll send you to the hospital. I know, crack, smack my back. Take me to the hospital. Put pins in. I'll go to the radar, the, 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 the metal detector airport. Ding, 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 ding. Now stop. What's going on here? Maishi is conversing. You mention the fact you're going to get hit. And he realizes there are consequences. He knows hospital, break the back pins, metal detected. He, he, he's clearly alert. So why is he doing something so stupid? And the answer is because he's drunk. And when you're drunk, the consequences aren't real. They don't feel like a big deal. And it sounds all light and easy because he's drunk. And to give man free will, Hashem put us into this body, into this nefesh bahami together, mixed in, and I'm in a state of ever-confused, ever-darkened haze, and I never fully get it. And in this state, everything is so occluded, so dark, I'm covered by layers and layers of physicality, hence I can't feel Hashem's presence. I'm not even aware that Hashem is right here. Hashem fills the entire world, the entire universe, the entire cosmos, every particle of physicality exists, because Hashem is there keeping an existence, 
and I am clueless. I'm alone. No one's here. The reason why I'm clueless is because my body prevents me from seeing. And now in this state, I have free will. Now in this state, if I desire, I can do exactly what I want because it looks so good. Right now, at the moment, it looks like a wise decision. If you've ever gotten angry and you made a decision that at the moment looked very clever, but the next morning you woke up and said, what in the world was I thinking? You'll understand the human condition. The human condition is we're in this haze of physicality, in this darkness, and my clear understanding never, ever gets it 100%. And therefore, Hashem gave us various opportunities and various tools to actually grow and actually come to an important cognition. Because I'll tell us that all of the Imaos were barren. Every one of them could not have children. Now think about that. Yitzhak married Rivka, he was 40, and for 20 years they couldn't have children. Why? Because I'll tell us. Because Hashem desires the tefillah of the tzaddik. Now, if you ask me, that doesn't sound very nice. Here's this nice woman, Rivka, and she begs and begs and begs and begs. Shem, give her a child. Nope, not going to do it. Why? Because I want to hear the tefillah. Sari Imenu was married at 15. She didn't have a child until 90. 75 years. Hashem, could you have a little Rahman? She's a nice lady, and she's doing your will. Why don't you just give her a kid? Because Hashem desires the tefillah of the tzaddik. That doesn't sound very nice. And the answer to this chazal is that when a person reaches out to their creator, and a person says words, Hashem, I can't do this. Hashem, I need you. And there's a level of clarity. There's a level of getting it that a human being cannot get otherwise. As great as Sarah Imena was at 20, and she was nowhere near who she was at 30, and who she was at 30 was nowhere near who she was at 40, but it took 75 years of begging, beseeching, imploring to actually cut through the layers of physicality to actually get it to be worthy and ready to be the mother of the Jewish nation. And I believe that's the answer to Yaakov Avinu. As close as Yaakov Avinu was to Hashem, as much as he deeply desired nothing more than dvekas to be attached to Hashem to cling, if he didn't have needs, it wouldn't be the same bakasha. It wouldn't be the same request. It wouldn't be that sense of urgency, that sense of desperation. He wouldn't be able to stand in front of his Creator and say the words, Hashem, I need. Hashem, please help me. Because when you need, when you desperately crave, you ask, you beg, and it's a whole different level of clarity. And as great as Yaakov Avinu was, he needed needs because only through needs can a person reach that level of understanding? <clears throat> the most needed it, the others needed it, and it's a part of reality. And if you'd like to focus on a part of life, I'll share with you something very, very important to realize. I guarantee, personally guarantee, <clears throat> that throughout life you will have needs, but not a few. You'll have many, many needs. <clears throat> you're going to have to earn a living. You're going to have to <clears throat> need help then it's a shidduch, then it's parnasta, then it's children, then it's health of the children, then chinuch of the children, and getting them to the right yeshiva, then the shidduch for them, then parnasta for them, and then they should have more children. You'll spend your life with untold amount of needs. And again, it's not because Hashem isn't very good at doing that which Hashem does. Hashem could have created the human being much like the trident submarine, <clears throat> much like the sun. You start him off at birth and he goes for life. 
but the human being would never be able to reach the level that a human being can. Because I have so many needs, I have to ask Hashem, I have to beg, I have to implore, and constantly I have the opportunity to grow, to cut through this haze of physicality, and because there's nothing like a tefillah, there's nothing like a request, there's nothing like a bakash where I stand in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I can't do this, I need you. You see, it's at that moment that I begin to get it, that Hashem is here, Hashem runs the world, and I am not in control. I don't control market economies, I don't control the weather, I don't control whether I exist or not. I put my head on a pillow at night, and I sure hope I wake up in the morning, but that is not under my dominion, not under my control. And when I realize I'm constantly needy, and for the rest of my life I'll have so many needs, that is the greatest catalyst for growth. It's the greatest vehicle, and it propels me to reach out to my Creator, beg, beg, beseech, and therefore I guarantee that you will have many, many needs, many, many needs, and one of the key reasons why is because that's the greatest tool to be close to Hashem. However, I think there's a whole other level of understanding that requires thinking about. And that is, let's go back to the animal kingdom. And what we'll find there is that all animals work for a living. Some have it very easy, and some have it kind of tough. The cow, pretty easy. He's in the field, he grazes, he eats all day long, it's easy. A leopard doesn't have it quite that easy. Many baby leopards die, because the mother has to kill about every day to keep up its milk supply, and it's not so simple for a leopard to kill every day. Either the impala is too quick or there aren't enough around there. And many times the cubs die shortly after birth because the mother can't keep up its milk supply. A leopard, as fast as it is, as keen a hunter as it is, has a tough time earning its living. The elephant, who's actually the king of the jungle, don't make a mistake, the lion trembles in fear in front of the elephant. And as much as the elephant is boss and no one tells him what to do, he doesn't have an easy time earning a living. Why? Because a full-grown African elephant will eat up to 350 pounds of vegetation a day. The animal weighs 14,000 pounds. To keep up that mass, it has to eat and eat 20 hours a day, all day long, consuming, hunting all day long. And as great as it seems, the elephant has a pretty tough time. The anteater, he's got it easy. Long snout, just finds the antle, ready-made food. And if you study all of the animals, some have it easy, some have it harder, some have it pretty difficult. But if you take the 1.5 million species of living animals, what you'll find is that none have it anywhere near as difficult as does man. Man has to work far harder, far longer, and far more focused than does any animal in the wild kingdom. Man has to plant, then harvest, then separate the chaff from the wheat, then grind it down, mix the flour, bake it. The lion eats its prey right off the bone. Everything just consumes it. The alligator, the same. alligator just consumes. Gets rid of it. The stomach acids digest it, and it's good to go. Man has a very, very rough time earning his daily bread. 
But here's the astonishing part. You and I don't work for our daily bread. It used to be the average person was in agriculture. In the United States of America, even in the 1820s, about 50% of the U.S. population was involved in one form or another of agriculture. Now it's less than half of 1%. So we don't work for our daily bread. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the average American's household expenses, only 14% goes for food. So we should work an hour a day. I mean, if it, that's, that's all you got to earn, some, some food to eat, some bread to put on the table. 14% of your total income, you work about an hour a day. Yet that's not the reality at all. Eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day. And somehow it is that Hashem manages to keep man busy, busy, busy. And here's the real question. The pinnacle of creation is man. The reason for creation is man. So why the cow, the donkey, have to work for a living? I get it. They're beasts of burden to serve man. But why does man have to work? And why does man have to work harder, more than any other? And even if you tell me that needs are important, why does he have to spend eight hours, ten hours a day working? Let him work for an hour. He'll daven, he'll beg, he'll beseech. Why does he have to spend the vast majority of his time? And by the way, do a time management study. What you'll find is the most, from the most advanced people, spend, unfortunately, either much of their time or most of their time doing things that don't seem to be very needed. Hashem can create a world ready to go. Hashem can make all the food ready to be just picked off the trees. But that's not the reality we live in. Man has to work for a living, but not just working like any other animal, working far harder, eight hours a day, ten hours a day, whatever it may be. And now the question becomes, why? And the Chovos of Ovos explains to us that there's two reasons to this. <clears throat> Number one, he explains, when you work very hard for something, <clears throat> when you spend eight hours, ten hours, and it <clears throat> means everything to you, suddenly you're in the real world of a test. You see, the money that you make pays for everything. Your clothing, your housing, your children's education. You need money for everything. And if you don't have money, you're in big trouble. And now all of a sudden, the human being can be really put into a major life test. Question number one, what is the source of my money? Do I get it? We all mouth the words, the exact amount of money is supposed to make is set on Rosh Hashanah. We mouth those words, but do we believe them? And when you have to work long, hard hours, and it really, really matters how much money you make, and suddenly this question of belief, of amuna, of getting it, becomes very real. But it's not just that. I know a number of people who one little dray on the tax return, one little shading of the truth, not what you'd call a legal loophole, yeah, a loophole that's not legal at all. One little dray, and they could save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in taxes. Do you or do you not? Are you straight? Are you honest? You see, that becomes a major life test. If money didn't mean anything, or if I had to work an hour a day, whatever, okay, so I'll work another hour, it doesn't really matter. But if you hit a parked car, and you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage, you look left, you look right, and no one's there, 
whether you leave your phone number or not is a major life test. You see, it's only because money is so significant and only because we have to work so hard for it is it the life test that it is. And reason number one, the primary reason why man has to work is because we're putting it to grow, to accomplish. And one of the great tools of our growth is being in this laboratory of growth called life, given many life tests, one of which is money. Do we believe? Do we understand? Are we honest? Are we not? You're going to earn X amount of money. That part's set. How you earn it is not set. Shem determines you're going to make this amount of money on Rosh Hashanah, but how you go about doing it, that's up to you. And suddenly, now life has a whole different element to it. However, the Chobos of Elvis explains that there's a second reason, which doesn't sound as noble. And that is that otherwise man would be bored. Now, I want to share with you that these two reasons of the Chobos of Elvis are life-changing when you understand this. And let me sort of put this into perspective. Imagine you're in Brooklyn, and you're at a shul, and you see in walks Yosef. And he's a real good guy. Comes early to the Dafayomi, and he learns very well, and he puts on his tefillin after, and he dominates, and he mamish like a mensch, kvaldik, and after dominating, he pulls, puts away his tefillin, folds up his talus, and then he says these words, No, that was for Hashem, and now this is for me, and he goes off to work. Great, a balanced balabas. <clears throat> he takes care of Hashem, and he takes care of his family responsibilities. A great balance, wonderful. I used to say that Yosef is half a kofer. What do I mean half a kofer? <clears throat> half a kofer because if you say that was for Hashem, and now this is for me, what you're saying is Hashem rules over the base medrash. This is Hashem's house. <clears throat> Out there in the marketplace, that's me. I'm in charge. So <clears throat> I used to say he's half a kofer. Because, you know, Hashem doesn't just uh, own the base matters. Hashem created, maintains, and orchestrates the world, the entire world, everything, everything, Wall Street, as well as African diamond mines. Everything that happens is under Hashem's direct dominion. So if you say the words, this was for Hashem and this is for me, I used to say you're half a kofar. But it really cuts much deeper than that. You see, what it really means is he's missing the entire point of the exercise. Hashem didn't need him to work eight hours a day or six hours a day. Why does he work? Because he's given the opportunity to cut through the haze of physicality in a very real demanding way, in a world where money matters, in a world where you have to work very hard, and he gets to chop. Is it Hashem's world? Am I going through the motions or am I in control? Am I honest in business or do I, you know, whatever. It's a, come on. And that life test was given to him for one reason. So he could recognize that Hashem is the creator, Hashem runs the world, so he could grow, he could become the great person he could become. And if he doesn't understand that, it's not just that he might be half a kofar, he's blowing his nine to five, the whole reason he's doing it is so he can grow and he misses the boat. And let me make it even more clear. Let's say you decide, I'm going to lie, steal, and cheat. Listen, i got to take care of Hashem's good, but I don't trust Hashem to have given me as much as I need, so I'm going to lie, steal, and cheat. What's going to happen? So, obviously, number one, cheaters never prosper. You're not going to make a penny more. The Chavos says very, very clearly, not a penny more, nor a penny less. 
Now, if you don't do any ishtadlis, that's true. You might earn a lot less than what you should. But doing the wrong ishtadlis, cheating, lying, stealing, or even working too hard, or working in the wrong way and the wrong manner will not get you a penny more. Okay, cheaters never prosper. But it cuts much, much deeper than that. If you'd like to fundamentally understand what the Chovas of Elvis is teaching us, <clears throat> let me share with you a mushal. <clears throat> Imagine a man is told <clears throat> that his son he has social integration issues. The Rebbe calls him in and says, listen, David, he, just, he doesn't know how to communicate, doesn't know how to speak. <clears throat> he needs help with social skills. You have to work with him. So the father, <clears throat> being a good guy, says, you're right, I'm going to do it. He hires a psychologist, he sends his son down, and more than that, the father takes it so seriously that he makes real time to spend with his child to teach him social skills. One day he invites all the boys' friends over, and there's David, six years old, and the other boys playing Monopoly, and the father's on the floor playing with them because he wants his David to learn social integration, social skills. Very nice. Okay. Anyway, they're playing. And at a certain point, the doorbell rings, everyone looks up, and David reaches into the bank and takes a few 500s. His father sees it. father doesn't say anything. <clears throat> a few moments later, they do a few more rounds, and the telephone rings. The boys look up, and again, David's hand is in the bank taking out some money, and his father notices that. And then a third time it happens. So at a certain point, the father says to David, David, come, come in the kitchen, I want to talk to you for a minute. And the father says, you know, David, I... I couldn't help but notice that some of the money from the bank, by mistake, ended up in, in, your, in your pocket. And David looks up and says, Tati, yes, it's true. I know how much you need money, Tati. Here, it's for you. Here, I did it for you. You ever hear people say, I'm doing this for the mitzvah. I'm saving a yeshiva. I'm saving a mosad. Hashem doesn't need you to support his yeshivas. Hashem doesn't need you to run the world. Hashem gave you the opportunity to earn money for one purpose, so you can grow, you could accomplish. But you're like the little kid playing Monopoly. It's not the father doesn't need to play money. God doesn't need your currency. But more than that, the only reason you're playing this game is so you can grow, you can cut through the lie, cut through the haze of physicality. So it's not just that cheaters never prosper, Cheater means you cheated yourself out of the main reason you had to work. Gee golly, you had to work eight hours a day, six days a week, so hard, so focused, and you did it for nothing. The whole purpose of it was for you to grow, for you to understand, and you blew it. And what the Chovos of Ovas is teaching us is that Hashem gave us needs so we could reach out, and Hashem made us work for a living so we could be tested, we can grow, we can become different people. And I believe there's a tremendous principle besides getting it and besides being honest in business, and there's another great principle that comes out from this. You see, the Chavaz of Ovas gives a guarantee. I'm not a Rebbe. The truth be told, the Chavaz of Ovas was a Rishon, he wasn't a Rebbe either, but he gives a guarantee. He says, if you do this, he guarantees you'll have an easy time earning a living. An easy time. What is this? Four criteria. Number one, and that you really, really are an Eved Hashem. That the focus of your life is growing, accomplishing, learning, chesed, midos, that that's the reason you're living. And number two, you trust Hashem. 
You rely on Hashem and not you. <clears throat> Number three, you're not the kind of guy who if you make a lot of money, you're going to go relax in the sun, go take vacations going around the, the world. And number four, you're not super into materialism. Explains the Chavos of Olas, if you meet those four criterias, you'll have an easy time earning a living. And why? And because there are only two reasons why Hashem gives a person this job called working for a living. Number one is a life test. But if you're an Ebed Hashem anyway, and you trust Hashem anyway, and you're not the kind of person who's going to go relax in the sun and go buy the fancy toys and whatever, then Hashem says, why not make it easy for him? Why not let him have it? Well, maybe he'll get bored. You're right, many people will get bored. And if you're the kind of person who's going to get bored, then don't worry about it. Hashem will keep you busy and busy because boredom is a horrible situation. But if you're the kind of person who's a real Ebed Hashem, and you'll learn more, and spend more time in Chesed, more time in community work, and you really will be focused, says the Chavos of Ovis, I guarantee you'll have an easy time earning a living. Because again, there's only one reason anyway you have to work for a living, and not because Hashem doesn't have, but because Hashem wants to give us the opportunity to grow and accomplish. I think this Medrash shares with us a tremendous yesod. Yaakov Avinu, the holiest of the Avos, needed needs. When he asked Hashem, please protect me, guard me, be with me, Hashem said, absolutely. I promise you those. But when he said to Hashem, give me beged, lilbosh, lechem, lechel, Hashem said, I can't promise you that. If I promise you that you'll have food, that you'll have clothing, if I promise you, you won't have anything to ask. So what does Yaakov need to ask for? And the answer is, as great as Yaakov was, he needed the need. Because only by having the need do I have that urgency, that need to call out to Hashem, and only through that vehicle can I cut through the haze of physicality. All the ovos, all the emos were barren. Sara Imenu for 75 years, Rivka for 20 years. Why? Because when you beg and you beg and you ask and you ask, you cut through the darkness. You begin to get it. And at level after level, layer after layer, begins fading away until you fully, fully understand it. When you have a need, it's very real. And you have to understand it didn't have to be that way. Look in the wild kingdom. Hashem has all the ability and tools, aptitude and inclination. All the animals have the ability to earn their keep. And they all have the ability. Man as well has to earn his keep. And man has many needs. Bori, nefoshos, rabos, vechasronon. Many, many things lacking. The reason being because Hashem wants us to ask. Because that's one of the tools of growth. But again, in the wild kingdom, no animal has it as tough as man to earn a living. Because it's not just a need. It's a life setting. Money is important. I have to work long, hard hours. Suddenly it's real. And suddenly how I work, when I work, what things I do or don't do, suddenly it's a real life Nisayan. And when I understand that, I understand that this is a major part of life. It's not when I leave the base medrash that I'm doing something for me, but it's even more than that. Many times you'll hear a guy say, Nebuch, I have to leave Kolel and go to work. Now I want to share with you something profound. Limit Torah is the greatest mitzvah. It keeps the world alive, keeps you alive. It's the greatest accomplishment. So why didn't Hashem arrange it that everyone could learn in kolel for life? Why is it that the average person lasts six years max, even if he's a super masmid? Eight years, ten years. 
And even if he lasts longer, there are all kinds of things he's got to work on and do extra programs. Why does Hashem do it? Why did he just make it? that Listen, an hour a day maximum? And the answer to that is because Hashem knows very well what he's doing. And you excuse me for saying this, but if it's time for you to leave Kolel, you're supposed to leave with a smile. Now, I sure wish I could learn more. And I sure wish I could steig more. But this is what Hashem wants. And when I leave Kolel, it's to serve Hashem. It's what Hashem wants me to do. And I'm doing it because it's the right thing. I'm Shol Eitz, I asked Das Torah, and I'm supposed to do it. Then it's not begrudgingly. It's not with a oi. It is with an oi. I wish I could do more. But clearly, this is what Hashem wants. And I'm supposed to do it with Simcha, knowing that I'm serving Hashem. Because my 9 to 5 is part of my life. You see, our role as Jews is to be 24-7 of the Hashem. But serving Hashem 24-7 doesn't just mean learning and davening. <clears throat> serving Hashem 24-7 means my entire life. All of it, every component, every aspect of it is to serve Hashem. When I go to the base manager to serve Hashem, when I go to work in the right way, in the right time, in the right manner, it's because that's what my Creator wants me to do. And understanding that allows us to understand why Hashem made us this way, allows us to use this great opportunity of life for what it was meant for, the laboratory of growth. But if you don't understand this, then you're wasting your 9 to 5. So much of your life there are only 168 hours in the week. And if you're taking up 40 or 60 of them or more with travel and everything else, <clears throat> what you find out is that if you don't understand this piece, most of your waking hours are wasted. <clears throat> Once you understand that this is part of serving Hashem, and more than that, it's a great, great tool that Hashem created specifically for us to <clears throat> cut through the haze of physicality, you understand the value of it. And I want to close with a story that I think is very, very Nogea. Rav Yaakov Yosef was the chief rabbi of New York City at a time when things were pretty rough. He was a tremendous Tamachachem. He was a guddle. And he had tremendous shtaltzkeit. He was a powerful orator. And he would speak from the pulpit <clears throat> words that were incredibly moving. And he got up to say a Shabbos Tshuva Drasha. Packed house. And he gets up with a... St- and he stands up there and he says these words. State in Rambam. State in Rambam. It says in the Rambam. And he got stuck. He got stuck. He couldn't remember. He was old already. He was losing his memory. And he couldn't remember his drusha. He couldn't remember. He's up there in front of the entire crowd. Packed house. And he couldn't remember what he was going to say. And then he said these words. Last year, not a safer. Nothing. And now I can't even remember what the Rambam says. And he sat down. And arguably that might have been his most powerful drusha ever. And why... Because what he experienced, and the crowd viscerally experienced as well, was that we human beings are mortal, finite, with extraordinary fragility and very, very needy. And when I understand that, my existence isn't guaranteed. I exist because my Creator keeps me. 
I exist because Hashem allows me, grace me, I begin to understand my relationship to Hashem. Hashem is the creator, and I am the one who was, was created. And I begin to understand my dependence on Hashem, and I begin to understand that I am not the one in control. Needs have this power. Needs have this ability to allow me to understand that. And it's only when I beg, only when I beseech, that I begin to get it, I begin to understand it. And Hashem grant us the wisdom and understanding to put this into practice.